Difference makers all face the same question. How can we initiate, drive and sustain change in any of its forms, whether it be social change, behaviour change, policy change or, at its most challenging, system change? Massive Small Stories presents lessons from all over the world, amplifying how amazing people have done amazing things throughout their careers. It celebrates those who have overcome all odds by pursuing their purpose in life and have influenced change for all of us. These are our massive small agents of change. Hello and welcome to Massive Small Stories. Um, I've got Isaac with me today. Isaac is our producer and he's standing in for Liam, who's unfortunately been delayed. But um, we're really very lucky to have uh, Jeff Siegler with us today. Um, Jeff's a writer, speaker, consultant. He's been interested in the whole that role place, the, 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 the powerful role that place plays in our lives. And uh, his organization, Revitalize or Die, sounds like a good James Bond movie, that one, uh, Jeff. <laughs> I, I love it. It's sort of straight to, the, straight to the point. I was wondering if I called something from my industry a similar sort of thing. It would be something like Bill or Be Killed, I think, something like that. It's got a nice, <laughs> nice ring to it. So um, welcome, Jeff. Uh, uh, thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. It's uh, um, been looking forward to the chance to, to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Great. So um, Jeff, Jeff, you're a planner. Um, and uh, you're in sort of familiar grounds when we start talking about some of the issues that we're going to be talking about today. But you're also a podcaster, I see, um, and you have a podcast called A Matter of Place. So um, listeners out there, listen to, to, um, to Jeff's uh, podcast. I particularly like his writing, and I mentioned to him earlier, um, I like the style, uh, particularly of his new book called Your City is Sick. I mean, that's, a, that's straight to the point as well, like revitalize or die, you know. It's clearly unambiguous. Um, you know what you have to do here. So... Um, the focus of the book was how can we improve economic, social, mental and physical health by treating our cities like people. So I'd like to sort of open with that. And, um, and as we talk, if you can sort of unfold your career and the things that you found relevant to, to in your experience to, to, uh, to the podcast, it, uh, it'd be very welcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Happy, happy to do so. Great. So uh, let's, let's start off by, by focusing on this issue. Um, as a planning profession, I've always seen ourselves as being the so-called doctors or the general practitioners of the city. Um, but we don't have that kind of skill set. We have that sort of siloed approach that's happened in, in, uh, in our profession, where um, we are so, we always create cardiologists before we create general practitioners, if you look at sort of the analogy of our urban professions. And I think that's part of the problem. Is, has, that, has that been your experience as well? Yeah, that's a, a, an interesting point, and and I, I suppose that um, it's pretty accurate. I think that at one time that the planning profession had uh, a little bit more clout and certainly more respect and had the ability to get things done. And I think that the in essence that the uh, profession has, has been neutered to a degree, um, and that yeah, it just really takes a backseat to to a lot of other. Uh, the powers that be and, and uh, either political will or what developers want to see uh, done. And, and that idea of giving consideration to what happens between the buildings has really has been completely sort of um, 
you know, that, that responsibility has been obfuscated, I think, by municipalities and, and government in general. And it's it's incredibly important what happens between them. I mean, the buildings themselves, you know, the shape, the massing, I mean, that matters. But what happens in between them is so important. And, and it feels like um, I went into planning with a certain expectation and, and sort of found that it's uh, a real, I kind of realized that, oh, it's pretty bureaucratic. It's a lot of, you know, making approvals and reviewing plans, but it, it doesn't seem to be a whole lot of decision-making. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of influence to say, this is what we should be doing. Like there's no, I never see where there's much of a discussion about what kind of outcome do we want? Yeah. And that's a preposterous way to go about anything. I mean, I don't know how, how most people live their life, but I find that it, it certainly, uh, um, you know, rewards me to say, here's what I want to have happen and let's figure it out. And municipalities are like, well, here's a process and let's, let's just see what happens. And, um, it's no surprise that it's, it's usually the outcomes are kind of, um, disastrous. No, we have exactly the same sort of crisis in, uh, in the UK. I mean, our planning system is in, in a, in a very bad place at the moment. Um, people don't want to go into the planning system. Um, but I, I sort of toted up the number of planners worldwide and I reckon there's about half a million of us who all joined the profession to make the world a better place. Whenever I talk to them, they all agree that they're not, <laughs> which is strange. You know, if you really could mobilize that, that passion that exists in people, firstly, the decision to do planning and the decision to stick with it. Um, it seems such a pity that we haven't been able to, to, to do what we set out to achieve in the first place. And I think it's pretty much worldwide. I, I have the sort of comment from almost everyone I talk to is that, most of us are sitting in this funny place down some sort of dark alley, um, acting more as regulators than as planners. Yes. Yeah, that that is very true. And I, I you know, I wonder this a lot. And I, and I guess maybe what the, the conclusion I've come to is like so many crimes were perpetrated on on, you know, the, the urban realm in the 60s and 70s that uh, to atone for it, I guess we've decided to to, to do nothing. You know, as if as if all halting all progress is somehow to to you know justify or to compensate for the fact that we did you know built a lot of highways through cities and tore down a lot of great neighborhoods, but uh, it's not. It it does not uh, somehow fix those mistakes. And and you know, and I, I guess I just see where government has gotten a little too uh, here. I, I can see it here. We're like local government is very reluctant to tell people what to do, particularly property owners, but but even more so commercial property owners, you know, not residential. We, we, we understand that like in the in the states we seem to get if somebody's not taking care of their their residential property, that's that's a that's has to be dealt with. But commercial property really seems to get a pass. And there's just it seems like developers have too much control and and that there's just not enough regulation. And I'm I'm a big fan of regulation. I think that the guardrails we've had this you know attack on regulation for so long here and it's just it's people saying i don't like laws and it's like yeah. well that's funny like we understand that laws you know hold up society everybody's in favor of laws but as soon as you apply laws to business it's like no 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 that's regulation regulation's all bad so there's this been attack on regulation and what it's led to is is you know the a lack of guardrails a lack of standards and as with anything you know if you don't have those if you don't uphold those standards you get worse and worse so that's that's what the urban realm has become it's gotten worse and worse uh, uh, as pressure has pushed people to just accept anything and and jeff do you see a way out of this in any time in the near future or do you think we're stuck in a hole and we can't get out of it anymore i do see that there's I mean, what I've realized is those 
communities that have upheld their standards are, are faring better. You know, it's like, I don't, if you want to always come back, I mean, it's, it's economics is what drive, you know, finance is what drives decisions and, and, you know, uh, capitalism is certainly a pretty big uh, a force in all this, but it's like, yeah, those cities that's beautiful cities do better, you know, attractive places do better. That, that, that's a much higher tax base in a, in a community that is socially connected and that's beautiful and those standards are high. So absolutely. Like it, it sort of shocks me that more communities haven't gotten on board with, with raising standards because the, the dollars are there to support it. Yeah. I think the big challenge we've got all the time is, um, we're coming back to that first statement you made about because we did so badly in the 60s now probably the 70s and probably the 80s as well i often said in the past three generations we haven't built one decent new urban neighborhood anywhere in the world anywhere and that's that's a failure of the system um the real problem is that having a debate about what an alternative system might look like is so damn difficult to do and i think you have to try and bring it out in in the easiest possible way for people to, to, to digest. And um, I think that's what we're trying to do with massive small change is effectively, how do we start? How do we get some small beginnings here? And how do we sort of, you know, start by starting and learn by doing, which I think goes with your principle of incrementalism as well. I noticed some of that point comes across this idea of relentless incrementalism is the way in which we're going to start changing things. It's not that big single idea that never seems to sort of come to fruition. Uh Yes, two things. I do want to point out that, that one of my favorite, um, up to your first point about, you know, we haven't built anything good in a long time. Yes, for the most part, that's true. But I've really gotten on this kick where like occasionally I, I come across where somebody, um, oh, there's some photos of Dresden and it's, you know, it looks like uh, that it's been there forever. And it's like, well, the vast majority of this, this, uh, these buildings in the photo and this, you know, sort of streetscape were from the last 15, 20 years. And I think in, in, it might be in Budapest and there's some examples and I've seen it and I've seen other examples where it's like, actually, there's a handful of people and, and cities that are still building some beautiful stuff. And it, it, I find that that's, while those are the exception rather than the rule, I find it so important to uphold those because yeah. I think the vast majority of people have, are under the assumption that it's impossible. You know, I grew up uh, around preservationists that said, we just can't build anything today that's worth a damn. And it's like, I get why you say that, but but maybe maybe we need to be careful. Maybe we need to be careful because if we convince everybody it can't be done, we give everybody a pass not to do it. So I, I it's absolutely we still have the technology and money to build with with beauty, to build with you know charm and with quality. We just we've decided not to. But I, I want to. I think it is important to recognize like it still can be done. It's just a matter of choice and priority. And and do you think that? this is communities needing to band together more or do you think this this problem needs to be solved from the planner level or the government level i i believe that oh boy <laughs> you know i think it probably comes it's i assume it's sort of cultural you know that it's cultural that that um that a local government feels that hey we we our citizens deserve better and we're going to demand more, but you know whether that comes from the top or whether that comes from the pressure from the bottom. Uh, I guess it could be either or. It's hard to say, but um, but it certainly seems to be that that and there's certain communities and cities that that culturally understand like we deserve better here. And mm -hmm. I think that we've, I find it all the time in my work is that I work with cities that believe no, we don't deserve better here. Like we are, we're less than we're some sort of subset of humans that don't like walking, that don't like, and it's sad. 
it's very sad that they've convinced themselves that this substandard urban environment that we built, I don't even want to say urban, but the substandard sort of infrastructure that we built, that's just, that's all we deserve. That's who we are. And we don't want to walk. We don't like beauty. We don't, you know, and there's this real like sort of self-loathing. There's this real apathy that, that comes with living in places that are sort of degrading that eventually you just kind of feel like, yeah, that's, that's kind of who we are and that's what we deserve. And it's heartbreaking because like, no, every, every human deserves to live in a pretty place. Every, everybody deserves to be able to walk down the street that makes them feel a little bit dignified. Mm -hmm. I think that point you raise about um, your, your environment shapes you is an incredibly relevant point. We have um, massive problems with some of our housing estates, particularly some of the public funded housing estates in this country. And a lot have been demolished. Um, classic failures of the 1960s, 1970s. Um, but the problem is we're replacing them with estates, uh, the concept of the estate, uh, which is not a neighborhood. And it's interesting coming back to that point about showing by, you know, it's a big example. I think there's some good examples that we've spotted, certainly in Amsterdam, parts of Amsterdam. And there's some very good examples, some fantastic examples in Berlin around the Berlin townhouse projects that have been happening. And um, I'll point to some, some examples in the States where people are thinking about these sorts of things. People like Jim Hyde looking at building small and um, uh, um, the idea of looking at the missing middle, that debate around the missing middle, which has been, which hasn't, we, we, haven't, we haven't done for some time, that idea of a typological approach to, to solving our, our cities, which we did incredibly well. Um, so I think there are examples, there's sort of germs of ideas. Mm -hmm. um, there's also, you know, very good examples of old neighborhoods that have been regenerated. And uh, the thing is, we need to try and learn from the, what are the preconditions that these old neighborhoods had that gave rise to the ability for them to transform over time? And I mean, to, to your point, I think the, what you call them, the preservationists, we call them the conservationists over here, um, have really been the, the main curators of, of um, decent urbanism for a good number of years. Most of our urban design profession in the UK, I think was implemented early on through, through uh, conservation programs. And I think that's how we learned so, so well. So I think this question of trying to learn from what we did so well in the past uh, is, is quite relevant. It doesn't mean rebuilding the past. It actually means learning from the conditions that gave rise to those, that fant those fantastic bits of urbanism. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, what we've, I look at it as, from the advent of civilization, we we kept honing our building techniques. We kept getting better and better. We kept, you know, we we were improving and we figured it out. And um, you know, could we could we build better? Could we build more efficiently? Could we build with more beauty? And these these techniques kept improving. Um, and then we hit this point where it's like, well, let's do away with that. That's nonsense. And you know, these these cities and, and neighborhoods developed organically. They were built by hand. They were built slowly, and they were built with craftsmanship. And what I've come to realize is like, if you build with quality materials, craftsmanship, and a little bit of patience, the results are undeniable. And the way I, I best relate it is food. You know, if you put good ingredients in the hands of somebody that that knows what they're doing and give them a little bit of time, you'll always get a great meal. Like it's inevitable that you'll come up with a great meal. And so there's no mystery to that. But at the same time that we kind of invented fast food, we invented fast places. It's like, no, 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 there's not enough profit in doing things right. Let's speed it up. Let's, you know, I want to be able to build 500 units at once. I want to be able to put out 500 burgers at once. And the results are just what you'd expect. You know, they're, they're tasteless. They're, they're bland. They're, they're and, and they make us sick. Um, so I, I think that, right. Like I look at, at 
the um, different cities across the United States and the best neighborhoods in every city are the ones that haven't been touched. The ones that are pretty <laughs> much intact from a hundred years ago, yeah. not because like they profound, you know, it's, it's just because they, they were built to the right scale. They're small. Those, those tenants tend to be local because the, the buildings, you know, are smaller. And so they don't require as much capital. They're much more walkable. They're beautiful. They've got that, that sort of design sweet spot of similar, but not the same. Like they just had it right. And so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, <laughs> we, we, we don't have to go back. I mean, it's like, it's worth preserving all those, but, but we should also just take the lessons that you can't build 200 acres at a time and think you're going to get anything special ever. You can't cook a meal for, you know, no one's ever been to a banquet and had a great meal. Like you literally, you can't cook for 300 people and do it well. It has to be done, you know, more individually. It has to be done locally. It has to be done slowly to get anything that's worth a damn. I love that analogy, actually, the idea of the food, you can't cook for 300. <laughs> um, but, and you're absolutely right. Uh, part, part of what we've been trying to look at is um, the qualities of a, of a great neighborhood. And one of the things is multiplicity, multiple actions. Um, and I've often said that the problem about a housing estate, it's the individual expression of collective needs. So it's a single hand approach versus uh, the great neighborhood, which is the collective expression of individual needs. So there's almost a complete antithesis between those two, two things. And that's the challenge we, we get. How do we get back to the individual when the system we've built is so much about regulating the big guys? So bigness is a natural outcome of a process that has reinforced the big guys doing it. Now, we have a, we have a major problem in the UK. Majority of housing, I think um, the figure, the old figure is 80 80% of most houses are built by, by 10 major house builders. You know, it's, it's phenomenal if you, if you consider that, that idea that housing is the hand of so few. And the outcome is really just one project after another project, which doesn't add up to, to um, neighborhood. And, um, you know, that's the challenge we face here. Uh, there might be a view around design, well, it's better designed. But design alone doesn't solve these sort of problems issues are far more complex than that right and it, it's it's i've come to loathe economic development i mean it's become this sort of god that everybody worships to and, and the driving form of government and it's like no matter what we do we just have to you know more jobs more investment and 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 it all it's it sort of it always it seeks big you know it just seems to seek big because big is quantifiable it's easy to get your uh, picture in the paper with big projects but but it, the results are always terrible again you know it's trying to cook for a lot of people and and i mean think of the economic impact of having right 10 10 companies build 80 percent of the housing that's pooling the the pooling wealth in the hands of so few really gutting the middle class but also a product that is always subservient uh, sorry so uh, um always a product that that's substandard um you're always going to get because again you have to build to a speed you have to pull out profit you got to cut corners you got to do this thing and that thing and, and instead where we used to have a system where it's like all right well we're going to take this we're going to take 100 acres and divide it up into 500 plots and here's some guidelines you know you can buy a plot and build but here's some general guidelines and that I mean, think about the wealth that creates when every family, instead of the developer instantly pulling all that money out from the jump, all of a sudden every local family had some, uh, they had investment, they had that uh, um, sort of equity because they built the place 
they built it to their taste yet fit within those, you know, some sort of guidelines. So again, you had similar and not, but not the same. And it, it just created local wealth. It created the type of neighborhoods that people love. So like we talk about economic development, but it, it gets so blind sometimes to the fact that like the goal is to create local wealth. And the way I say it here in the U S is like, at some point we decided to trade the health of the local economy for health of wall street. We put shareholders over our own best interests and that so every national chain and every national developer that comes in, sure, they're great for shareholders. They're great for Wall Street, but they are absolutely gutting the local economy and just hauling cash away as fast as they can. And then these communities are like, boy, what what happened? Where did all our money go? Like you you handed it, you, you gave it away. Yeah, we've had um, guests on the podcast previously who have argued that in order for these communities to really flourish and not have their tools taken away from them. They need to have some sort of driving spirit behind them right, to keep them sort of going. And some of the guests previously have said that religion might be uh, that spirit. I can't remember which guest that was. If you remember. Probably Seth, yeah. Seth, Seth Kaplan. Kaplan. You yeah. probably know Seth. Yeah. Um, I think it was just, he was talking about what we've seen as the destruction of society. Um, our institutions are failing. Our, um, uh, and we find it very difficult to sort of rebond as a community. I was interesting. I was, I was going to pick up a similar point to yours, um, Isaac. Uh, isolation, polarization, and addiction are the three modern curses of society. Uh, an activated and socially responsible community is the only antidote. And neighborhood is the primary vehicle for an activated and socially responsible community. So this thing about these three curses we have out there at the moment that we're not really addressing. And we're certainly not addressing it through the mass or the volume house builder or the large house builder solving these sorts of problems and building these communities for us. In fact, in many ways, we proved in the pandemic, we're isolating people further. If we're not building that social capital through, through our actions, then in, in many ways, we, we, are, we are reinforcing these three modern curses. Welcome your view on that, uh, um, Jeff. Um, absolutely. Uh, that, that, you know, I think it comes back to place and, and, you know, but my faith is community. Um, and yeah. what I've found is that 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 place design is so important and and like we're constantly being shaped by by the built environment. And but you know, so much of it unconsciously, but but it does. It affects who we are in, in a substandard built environment, a poor built environment. It does lead to isolation. It does lead to it. I I'm a true believer that like so many of our societal ills really do come down to the built environment um, because it, it has the power. To, I mean, I, I I've been to places where you know a, a bustling piazza or busy street where you know you know I mean it's it's yeah. you know those certain types of cities where they value this a, a piazza in Italy or or you know a great street in, in, in France where the just the act of sitting there transforms you. It yeah. makes you feel more civic. It makes you feel more civil. It makes you feel wholesome, dignified, sophisticated, all at once, just because this built environment that is beautiful, that that is social, that that is of quality. Like I realized that like we don't just travel to go look at pretty places. We travel to feel different. We travel to feel pretty. We travel to feel social. We travel to feel better about ourselves. And and place has the power to change how we feel about ourselves, which then changes our decision-making changes, how we would treat others. So I, I, yeah, like I've also been to places too, where I'm there for a few minutes and it's, it's like, oh yeah, it would not take me long to be here before, before my behavior would start to be really detrimental. Yeah. Like, 
Right. Like there, I would, yeah, you can't say that if I lived in this, I've been to places where in 10 minutes, I feel so low and degraded that I can't wait to leave. Had I lived there for a year, you'd think that depression or addiction wouldn't absolutely, <laughs> you know, be knocking at my door. And and we treat it like, oh, those are substandard. Oh, we built shitty places for people. And it's so crazy that they're now behaving that way. You know, it's like, it's so crazy that they succumb to this environment that is absolutely torturing them mentally and spiritually. Like there's, there's, we shouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. And sort of on that note, you, you clearly are very, very motivated about this still, despite all these things going wrong. Do you sort of drive that motivation from the place that you grew up in or like your upbringing at all? Is it at all connected? Or is it just a, a, a you know, grew naturally from when your career started? Um, You know, the place I grew up in, I guess, probably, I, I didn't realize it till later, but probably sparked all, all this because I realized that, that, here is a place that for my great grandparents was, you know, wonderful. And this magical, like it, it, it had to have been, you know, Disneyland or something. And, and for their, then for their children and their children or, you know, or my grandparents and my parents that here's a community that was well-connected, that was beautiful, where you had a chance to get involved and get engaged, where you could, you know, walk down the street, know, know the shop owners and see your neighbors and that kids could roam free. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's perfect. But that's what every place was. You know, it wasn't special to Lima, Ohio. Like, that's just the nature of how every place was. And within one generation, you know, within like some way through my parents uh, um, growing up. And by the time me and my siblings graduated, it was gone. And it was it was just that thing had been decimated. Both of my grandparents and their legacies, the businesses that they started, the buildings that they built, like gone the ties gone, the sense of, 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 you know, those social, that sense of engagement, like it had all been wiped out within a generation. Yeah. And so here's this place that, that was good enough for decades, for generations that all of a sudden wasn't. And it's, I don't believe that somehow, you know, myself and my sister and brothers were, were just to, you know, that we had changed fundamentally. Uh, the place had changed and it was heartbreaking because there's nothing more that I would want than than to live around them, to live around family, to, you know, I think I was on a conversation the other day with a, my buddy Alan and Alan's like, oh, yeah, back at home, we've got a guy. We got a guy for everything. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I know who to go to get my car fixed. I know the guy to talk to when, you know, and it's like, oh, it's nice to have the guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's nice to have those neighbors are like, oh, you knew my grandpa, you know, and you knew granny 30 years ago or, or seven, whatever. It's like. Those roots are a really great thing. That sense of community, that sense of place is all incredible. And, and we lost it all. Like because these decisions about cars and economic development or whatever, this town that that had been good enough for, for decades, it was all wiped out. And now I don't get to see my siblings. Now I don't get to see, you know, my nephews and nieces. And now I'm less connected. And like I'm just sort of sad about it. And and I don't think that anybody should have to do that. I don't think parents should ever have to say, uh, hey, son, you know, you've graduated. It's time you leave because this home isn't good enough. You need to seek opportunity elsewhere. This place is going to lead you to be depressed or addicted or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that I, that's really what drives me is seeing that that how all these hometowns have failed, the people that call them home. And uh, now everybody has to seek out something better. And like that shouldn't that should never have happened. Mm -hmm. That was a nice part of your book because you started with um, an incredibly personal journey. Of the three places that you'd had relationships with i think that's the way you sort of referred to it yes and it's absolutely right you know you know i'm absolutely certain what shapes you what shaped you and shaped your views and your passion must have come from your roots it can only it can only have come from that you probably learn a bit at university but your values are shaped long before that i think um you said in your book 
humans' greatest strength is our ability to adapt to our surroundings, but what are those surroundings unhealthy? And I, what I like about even your front cover shows a heart. You've, you've kind of linked this idea of the human body to the city. Uh, you anthropomorphic type references all the time. Um, now, it's interesting, the amount of time we spent worrying about our own personal health, you know, the amount of self-help books we read and diet books we read, and, uh, you know, the, the amount of um, supplements and additives and, and whatever it is we, we do we're to, to constantly feed our, our desire to keep ourselves healthy. We almost have none of that or very little of that when it comes to our built environment. Now, built environment is so critical to us. Um, interesting reading about the kind of view that was expressed, I suppose, I suppose sort of post-war, where we started seeing the city as a machine. We could actually use mechanistic ways of, of, of determining it and shaping it and driving it, compared to seeing it as a complex adaptive system, like the human body. Um, and it's interesting just taking that those sort of analogies. If we, if we were the medical profession for our, for our towns, cities, and neighborhoods, what would we be doing differently as, as professions? Oh, um, so gosh, the, a lot to unpack there, but the something that, that, you know, I want to make sure to address is that I, I do feel that, you know, there was the shift from the, the collective to the individual and, and, you yeah. know, it's hard to be cynical here, but I think it yes, was absolutely right. uh, profit motivated, you know, it's like, well, you know, we could, we could have a great train system, but then we're, you know, then we're foregoing the sale of, of thousands of cars and oh, I don't like that. <laughs> You know, and it's, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, it was wonderful when there was, um, you know, a community pool uh, that everybody used. But it's like, well, you know, then we can't sell more uh, pools to individuals and just a lot of that. And it's like, well, what we've done is requiring everybody to have their own theater and their own coffee maker and their own, et cetera. Not requiring, but but really pushing that and prioritizing everybody having their own thing at, at the cost of sort of these communal things that we shared, public transportation, parks, plazas. You know, we we've we've degraded that sense of, of that sense of community, that sense of collectiveness, and that sense of hey, we we are all in this together, and actually more so that like we're the same. Like we're so afraid of one another now because we don't see one another, and, yeah. and what you realize like everyone's the same, their values are the same, their we our our DNA is all the same, our brains are wired the same, you know. So we all appreciate the same things, and and. And it's led to terrible politics, and I think a lot of anger and frustration and uncivility, incivility, um, just because we don't see each other one and well ourselves, we don't see one another anymore, and spend enough time with one another, and realize like, yeah, we're we're the same. So, um, but yes, I, 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 I guess sometimes I look at it as, um, and we should treat. Sorry, I'm jumping back and forth, but like we should also like. You know, now because everybody's sick from this environment, we treat everybody individually instead of treating the, the collective, instead of treating the municipality like, yes, uh, we could fix depression. You know, we could help people with their mental illness across the board by building, building prettier places, by having public space. Like, yeah, you can't necessarily it's it's hard to treat, you know, each individual. But that's all we try to do instead of thinking like, man, if we built more walkable places, we could improve obesity across the board for municipality if we. You know, and and like somebody pointed out yesterday, I was on a call with it. It's like, yeah, you step into a car now, you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's 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 heated before I even get in. And these are the most luxurious seats I've ever been in. And there's like this huge touchscreen and like, oh, it's this incredibly luxurious experience. And then you get on public transportation. It's like, oh, I'm in urine again. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, like that sucks. You know, we, we've 
we've made it so luxurious to travel to do everything individually and and to do anything collectively as a you know these things that we should invest in so heavily that are that not only save you know municipal budgets and government budgets but they also save local and family budgets yeah. uh, that we could share so um so, that so I know that that didn't necessarily get to your question, but yeah, but I suppose the point is it reinforces those three modern curses. So the the system is is constantly reinforcing the things that's actually making the society, um, you know, implode. So uh, you yes. know, for me, I, what, what I was what I'm encouraged about is, um, like you, I'm a rational optimist, and I believe there's a better way of doing things, and I believe there is a way of doing things. Um, this isn't about a, a lamenting the past or anything like that. It's about saying that we honestly believe that, uh, despite the fact that we've um, we've been around the block a bit, we believe that there's different ways of doing it. And how do we mobilise people to do it? And it can only really come from the bottom up. I cannot see how yes. down systems will change, because most good things that are happening at the moment are happening despite government rather than because of government. So when yes. we started writing Massive Small um, Change, it was interesting how many people wrote to us about small change projects throughout the world. You know, this is what we're doing. This, this is, and you find those small change projects ultimately being killed by the heavy hand of officialdom. Um, so the question is, how do we, how does, how do we get governments to recognise that there's a, an ability to, for community to solve some of these wicked problems that that they face, and uh, and 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 facilitate that process rather than seeing themselves as we in charge, we commanding and controlling every sort of every single outcome here. Um, so this brings together two questions you asked that, that I'm glad to get back to. And, and one, I do think that it has to be done on a small scale that, that again, economic development as a, as a God has told us only big matters and, and it's just, it's good at funneling. It's, it's good at also pushing everybody small down and saying, you don't have a role in this while simultaneously funneling more money out of the community to big. Um, and I think that, that the C, you know, what we know, and I'm always trying to relate our communities back to individuals. They're yeah. the same. Yeah. You know, cities behave like people because they're full of people. And in our personal life, we never think that there's just some sort of magic solution. You know, like you can watch the late night infomercial and be like, something, you know, it's like I can take a pill and I'm skinny. Something yeah, yeah. doesn't add up. Learn, yeah. you know, learn the guitar overnight. Like, what? Um, <laughs> improvement is not something that can be stowed upon, you know, externally. Uh, and it can't be done quickly. And, and, you know, if you want to become smarter, it's going to take studying for years. If you want to become, you know, fluent in, in Russian, like you, it's going to take a long time. If you want to revitalize your community, it's going to take a long damn time. And, and there's no way around it. And and so I think it, it's sort of empowering the individual that you are the only one that matters. Like your little actions add up. You're you going to the gym every day is what's going to transform your body. But pulling weeds every day and scraping a little bit of paint really is where transformation starts. That's really where you're going to make all the difference. And 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 I think that there's so much power in that. It's sort of reminding people that hey, your your government might not have it right, and what you've been told might not, and and prove it for yourself. You know, go do a little bit. Tell me how good you feel after finding a few friends and cleaning up your block or cleaning up a riverbank or pulling weeds downtown. And, and they'll come back and be like, that's one of the best days I've had in a long time. I feel good. I feel rewarding. I feel like I'm part of something bigger. Yeah. And like, you know, I'll take that over Netflix every day. And most people will. It's human nature to find reward and, and sort of value and, and, and satisfaction and doing something good for other people, doing something good for the collective. And so 
I think that that's, that's really where I approached. I had a great conversation just yesterday with uh, um, Dean with Town Team Movement in, in Australia, and they're kind of approaching the same thing that they're coaching communities in, in, in Australia. It's like start small, put, eat dinner in your driveway some night, you know, put your table in your front yard, like stop. We got to stop convincing people. The only way, way to make meaningful changes, these, these great big projects, because it's a thousand small things, a little bit of paint here or there, um, because it's also, it's visible. It's noticeable. Like it's about trajectories, I guess that, that if you make a small improvement in your home, you know, it might be something that you've delayed for years, but when you do it, you're like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that before? Why didn't I change that light bulb? Why didn't I paint those stairs or whatever it was, but it's noticeable and it makes you feel better and feeling better is, is kind of addictive. And so I really do. It, it's, it's relentless incremental improvement and, and you can build small and go places, but it, you know, it's like, sure. It won't fix it overnight, but when you get in the process, you know, you, again, you can't get in shape in one day, but boy, that time you go to the gym and you come home tired, feels great. And you're more likely to do it again. So to jump to your other question, to, to be a little long-winded, I see our role more now as planners or, or community development activists or whatever it is, 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 is like fitness trainers. Yeah. You know, we not, we not, we might not be empowered to fix it, but what we can do is root people on. What we can do is give them instruction. Like nobody needs... Nobody needs any information on how to get in shape. 100% of us know that if I wear exercise more and, and I eat better and get some sleep, I will be in better shape. But how many people actually do that? You know, or, or the greatest athletes even have trainers because you want somebody pushing you, pushing mm -hmm. you in the right direction, motivating you. And I, I look at, at our position more that way now. Like, you know how to revitalize your community. Make everything prettier, make it nicer, make it more like these aren't complicated answers, but maybe somebody to give a nudge, maybe just somebody to provide some encouragement and say, you know, go out there and do it is going to be the thing that makes a difference. Those those nudges, that prodding and that sort of uh, um, little bit of driving force might be what what pushes a community. And, and I think that great, like planners need a role. We need something to do to feel good about, you know, like we need that sort of reward. So I think that when I talk to a lot of people that work in, in kind of the main street arena, uh, it's like your your role is is you know cheer people on, empower your residents to go out and make a difference because they're gonna they're gonna fall in love with it, and once you do it, you know you never want to do anything else. Yeah, I like the idea of the fitness trainer analogy works well for me. I, I've used the concept of the sound engineer sitting at the desk, making small little moves. You know, in other words, the orchestra's playing and the orchestra's continuously playing, and it's um you know it's shifting you know her voice is too squeaky, the violins are too, we can't hear, let's, let's put a bit more bass here, and constantly making those sort of small moves. So your, your role is more like a choreographer or um, an impresario. In fact, mm -hmm. Liam, Liam the other day, Liam refers to himself as the chief encouragement officer. He's a social entrepreneur, <laughs> but he's, he's, it's about encouragement. And it's interesting, what, and I'm sure you must have experienced the same thing when the, pan, we hit, the pandemic hit us, and we're in a small town just outside London. The community genie got let out the bottle. All of a sudden, things became completely different. You know, all of a sudden, their kids with fathers uh, um, cycling and and you know spending spending time together as families. There were people baking cakes for one another. There was, it, it was it was phenomenal. You know that this incredibly negative thing brought out this incredibly positive thing. But what you actually realise that there's actually a latent potential that exists here that's just untapped. So the question is, how do you make that first move, just that first move that starts bonding the potential of the community to, to be activated? Uh, because that question about, you know, of isolation, 
polarization only happens in an activated, socially responsible community. So, you know, activation is, is, is a key factor here. Right. Um, one is, this is sort of jumping back a bit, but it, I think it relates, <laughs> no, but, but I don't think we give people enough credit, you know, and, and government's really bad at that. And, and we just, we've become so negative on ourselves and, and sort of blame ourselves for, for all these things that happen. And, and we don't trust people. And where I, I was reading an article the other day, it's like, we're, you know, low trust society, but low, you know, high regulation. And, and, and I find that it, yeah, when we don't trust people, they tend to behave poorly, you know, and when we trust people, they tend to rise to the occasion. And it's like, yeah, we take away public space here because I don't think we trust people to use it. Yeah. Um, which is terrible, which take is away, sad. Take away and, the and park like, bench because someone might sleep on it. You know, right. we do this all the time. It's a right. incredible and then it's so, it all is, yeah. It is terrible. And then it's like what you're reinforcing is antisocial behavior. And it's like, so we get more of that and, and more and more of it. And we keep doubling down. But that's a little bit beside the point, but I, I guess that what I'm trying to do in, in, in some communities that, that we're working with is like, let's identify the people that are already the, the, um, the most social, you know, who are the party planners? Let's activate them to like, to be the first one to take a risk, go over to your neighbor's house and knock on their door and ask them to come over. Or like, let's, let's be intentional about being social, you know, and, and not, and instead of sort of hoping it will happen, like, I think there's nothing more magical than we, people start talking. You know, I, I related to a story in the book where it's like, we saved a, this incredibly historic building in, in this downtown because of kickball. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there's a bit of a path between those two stories, but without this adult kickball league where a bunch of people got to know each other, I could have never asked them to come out and stand in front of this building and say, Hey, we, this matters. And so I, I what I think we need to do is, is do the very, like lead with being social. Stop if you're part of a nonprofit or some sort of or community development organization, dear God, stop having boring meetings in basements, yeah. you know, like give it, you're, you're flying in the face of human nature. You're so, oh, you know, we don't want to burden you to do too much. Just come and listen to our stupid reports. Like, no, no, yeah. like stop doing things that are sort of antithetical to, to, to fun, to social, to what people want to do. Lighten up. You know, you're trying to do something that's incredibly powerful and important, but making it boring doesn't make you more serious. You know, like meeting in some sort of conference room does not make your mission somehow more effective. Like, I think we just need to lighten up and be a little more fun and friendly and social. Like, if you want to have a meeting in in at the bar, uh, you probably should. If you want to have people over to your house and just say, hey, this thing matters to me. Will you come to council some night and argue? Like, please do. Like, lighten, lighten the hell up. Have a little bit of fun because community is meant to be fun. And when they give people a taste of it, they will, they'll choose friendship over scrolling alone every time. If you let them hear, you know, if you give them a taste of it, if you let them know about it. So I guess that would be sort of my recommendation on where to start is, is lighten up a bit, have a bit of fun. Re remember that every human nature is the same across the board. And if you think something is fun, if you would find joy in something, everyone else would too. So lean into that and what you're going to do, like people are going to gravitate towards your efforts. If you stop thinking that, that serious somehow makes you more effective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and do you envision any kind of institutional role, be it government or local government in trying to facilitate these kind of changes, or do you think it has to start from the very, very bottom from the people? No, I think that I've seen more and more where, you know, younger elected officials are, are getting it, you know, and it's, it's not always the case, but yeah, it, it is. 
but generally I'm seeing more, you know, when the next generation of elected officials come in, uh, that they're getting it, that they're placing more importance on quality of life issues and, and being social and this idea of walkable places. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you're, you're actually much better off if, if it's led, you know, if you have effective, thoughtful government leaders, so much more can get done when you consider, you know, they've got the power of legislation, they've got the power of the budget, all these, you know, the manpower hours with, with, uh, you know, the staff, uh, municipal staff, like there's so much more than get done. So I've seen a lot where it is led by um, a great mayor, you know, a great city manager can absolutely push this, you know, can be the driving force to making a huge difference in a community. But if you don't have that, then yeah, you're, you're going to have to resort to kind of this, this grassroots upswell of people saying, you know, we demand change and we're going to, we're going to show up to council every time until you're sick of us or more so like, trust us. Like we're not trying to do anything bad. And it's, you know, sometimes government's really, really resistant to those people. And it, it's, it's crazy to see. It's crazy to see when it's like, hey, we're just out here trying to good and like, we'll stop that. I'll, sh you know, we'll show you yeah. trying to improve the public realm. Um, you know, I had an instance too long, uh, not too long ago, where, um, yeah, we we have a new traffic circle on our street, and and uh, somebody who knows, um, went and decorated it over the holidays. <laughs> And the municipality within hours had taken all the decorations down and, you know, that's like, oh, back to the traffic cones. And it's like, well, I get it. I get that that's your process. But think about the message that sends. Is that really what we want to do is to tell people, hey, get out of the public realm. So, yeah, I think part of it is is we've got to remind government officials that just because you've just because you've been told that that's your job. You got to think a little further about outcomes and the message that you're sending. And is that good? Do we want to discourage the public from taking any part in their own place, in their own public realm? And so, so to to make to take a short question and make it incredibly <laughs> lengthy, I don't think it it's I don't think it has to come from one or, or another. It has to come from somewhere. And if government's involved, great. If not, you know, try to force their hand. Yeah, a lot of what we're talking about is how do we how do we get, how do we get government to because we need top down. You know, bottom-up alone needs top-down because bottom-up systems create their own top-down systems in a short space of time anyway. So how do we facilitate, how do we get top-down to facilitate this bottom-up effort? Particularly at a time where we all have less money and there's probably less less, less tax in the in the coffers and there's um, less ability to solve some of these wicked problems. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to know what, what we could do with the lightest touch. And, and what we often say, what do we tell government? How do we tell government how to behave? In that sort of position, exactly that example you 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 gave there, because I think Jason Roberts and his stuff on Better Better Block Dallas was had some excellent examples of how to effectively curate a new street in a in a temporary way, and then show show to government, look what's wrong with this, what's wrong with a place like right. This? And I think uh, th right, that, that's what I'm saying is despite government rather than because of government, we we starting to see this change. Right, it's it, it is so funny. I mean, I I see this all the time particularly in smaller towns where it's like, we hate government, government's the problem. And then, but anytime something goes wrong, it's like, we need government to fix government. it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, like come here and it's like, well, you actually have some personal responsibility. Like, you know, you know, you can uh, take the branch out of the street if you want, you know, that you can clean your own sidewalk and shovel it. It's so, yeah. I think it's a loss of this idea of, of civics uh, um, and this understanding that, that there's a relationship between the two. Like, yeah, we need we need a healthy government. We have to stop attacking this thing that that it absolutely is our our well being. Our society depends on having this establishment that that you know 
dictates the roles and enforces those roles. And so we, and it's better, we're happier. So yeah, it's a complex thing because we have to teach government to trust people more and be a little hands off and, and you know, understand. So I do, I love things like Jason um, Roberts is doing and, and others where it's, you know, I, I kind of like some of the subsurf- sub- subversive guerrilla tactics, yeah. like just yeah. go and do it, just go and do it and see what happens. And, and because we, what we do really want is the public to feel like they have a say in their community. Like what's, what's better than everybody tending to public space a little bit, because right, if government doesn't have the means and we all take that on, it's going to be prettier. It's going to be more attractive, but we're also going to be constantly reminding citizens, this is yours. You have ownership over this place. It is, it is, you know, I hate the idea that I, you just live here, but it's governments, yeah. you know, and like, what? Don't touch, so, don't, don't touch, don't touch right. the circle. Yeah. Whatever you do, it's, uh, it's, ours. it's, it's funny. Right. I, someone said the other day that the two most dangerous words in the English language are health and safety. It's a magic, mm-hmm. just how much is put down to those sort of, those sorts of actions by, by particularly by government. You can't do that. You know, it's, it's, it's impossible. It'll, you know, something will go wrong. You know, there's this kind of fear of change all the time. And quite right, a, we're very quite afraid. A, what Jason and 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 I suppose Mike Lydon and the tactical urbanism guys are, are showing is that actually quite often by just doing something over a weekend, you solve the problem of maybe a year's commissioning of a report to come up with a strategy to come up with an outcome and then to implement it. So you can almost your proof of concept emerges pretty damn quickly if you start acting. Right, right, and, and yeah, that's I'm the biggest believer in just action. Take action. You know that that you want to going back to sort of the fitness analogy, right? Like getting a plan is, you know, I could pay somebody $10,000 to give me of, here's your, my fitness plan for the year. Yeah. What a, what a waste. Already. How silly. Like, you know, <laughs> what I need is somebody's like, get your ass outside and run right now, yeah. you know? And, and like, that's going to be more meaningful. That's going to provide better health. That's going to get me on a track. That's, you know, going to be trajectory and I'm going to feel different after, but we're constantly delaying action thinking that it's, uh, if we just get it right. And it's like, stalling or delaying or studying or surveying only breeds more apathy we're only delaying the inevitable we're only saying that somebody outside has an answer and and reminding locals that like you your input it doesn't matter and it's like nope just take action just take action i don't care what it is but like go do something immediately because you're gonna uh, immediately trajectories change immediately you're gonna feel different immediately you're or something is happening and momentum is building and it just like go go go! Stop waiting for permission. I you know stop stop thinking that if you just get it right, that somehow that's going to be better. Uh, action breeds action. You know momentum breeds momentum. So it really we've just gotten too much into the feeling of like if we can just you know and, and sorry to to go on on this, but this one I really I sort of the concept that what we do here and I don't know if this takes place everywhere, but it drives me crazy. It's like let's get 100% community engagement so that we can do some stuff so that we can, so that we can invest in this thing or make some progress. And it's like, no dummies, like everybody hates it here. And you try to get them on board to improve it, just improve it. You know, if you give me, if you give me a rundown gift and you're like, why don't you love this? No, give me a really nice gift. And then I'll just love it. (laughs) Like there's so much effort expended in trying to get people to like things that aren't nice in hopes that we can make it better. Like, this stuff isn't that subjective. Mm-hmm. This stuff isn't that subjective. Like places, things that people like are pretty objective. Beauty's pretty objective, actually. You know, that that idea that beauty is not a beholder, there, there's there's a lot of evidence with it, it would fly in the face of that and make things better. Yeah. Like it doesn't need a debate. Just because four people don't like beer and pizza doesn't mean that we shouldn't serve it at our party. <laughs> you know, like 
go with what the majority of want, move forward with progress, understanding that this stuff isn't that objective, make it better. And then people will fall in love with it. People will care about it and they'll defend it. But we just keep holding off on doing anything positive because we think we have to have everybody on board and we don't. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a, a follow up to your one about action. Um, someone gave me a good quote, which was, um, it's not hope that inspires action. It's action that inspires hope. That's a good one. I like that. We, 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 we often think that, um, you know, wishing something would happen, but actually it's doing something that creates that, that positive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great line. And, and absolutely, absolutely. Action just, it changes us. It, it's, it, you know, it's exciting. It's fun. It builds momentum. I mean, it just, the, we've all had a hard day's work and been immensely satisfied when we put our, you know, pillow, uh, put our head in the pillow. It's like, that was hard, but I feel good and made a difference. Yeah. And everybody feels that way. And and it's like, well, another study to flies in the face of that, or, or, you know, coming to listen to reports or having another conversation about whatever, whatever sort of pedantic thing it is that, that you think matters. Like it, it all is pales in comparison to a bunch of people going out and breaking a little bit of a sweat yeah. and, and yeah. getting involved. Yeah. And breaking a rule. One of Jason Roberts' yeah. statement was, "Let's go out and break every rule in the book this weekend." <laughs> <laughs> I love fun. it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I think we've we've got about five minutes left. Should we try and end on a, on a positive note? Do you have any sort of examples of? Obviously, you're a consultant and a planner. Any examples of of being on the ground and seeing this kind of change happen and having some sort of positive, you know, experience with it. Um. It's fun if you don't. One that, that comes to mind, uh, just I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi a couple of years ago, and it, this is a pretty fun example of just, yeah, how it happened pretty quickly, like it, just a change in mentality. And we were having a meeting. It was kind of this real estate roundtable. You know, it was some developers, it was building owners, a couple bankers in, in uh, the mayor. And we were having this conversation uh, about standards and, re and regulations and you know, I was trying to make the point. It's like, we get it wrong when we think that red tape discourages investment. Sure. Like bureaucracy is necessary, but it can, it can get bloated. It can be overdone, but it's still necessary. And, and I made the point like, look, you're, you're, you're mistaking red tape and risk. You know, like red tape mitigates risk. Mm -hmm. What we need, like as an investor, like, yeah, I don't want too much red tape but but what i really don't want is to lose my ass but i don't want to do, you know lose all my money and so the right amount of regulation really protects investment it really mitigates risk so that's what's going to drive me every time you know if you look at um if you look at the prettiest places in the country or in the world you can be pretty sure that there's regulations strict regulations and that your money is going to be safe there you know, we work, I've worked with some communities where it's like, everything goes, you know, do whatever you want anytime. Yeah. Nobody ever wants to invest in those places. And so we're having this talk and it's like, you're, you're, you're kind of thinking about this whole idea wrong. You need the right amount of red tape to mitigate risk. That's going to encourage investment. And the bank, the bank president turns to the mayor and he's like, I'm never going to lend on another deal in this town until you start enforcing the building code. And the mayor was like, yes thank god like i you know that's sort of the direction i needed that was what i want you know i wanted somebody from the private sector to say this thing so it's like you've given me my marching orders that so we'll start enforcing building codes right away yeah so that was that was incredible and 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 then you know later we were during the same conversation we were talking about standards 
you know, and how like when you have low standards, you accept less for yourself. You know, we've all had a, I don't know, the best way I can put it, like we've all had a friend in the dating pool who was like, yeah. we'll date anyone. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, whatever. They are, they like me and that's good enough. And it's like, usually that leads to pretty bad outcomes. <laughs> you know, we, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard if we want better, you know, less we, you know, less we keep accepting things that are beneath us. And, and so that was another conversation we had. And I got an email from uh, somebody on the planning board, like six months later. And they said, a developer approached him downtown about like a $40 million. Yeah. It was like a $40 million project downtown. And at first the, everybody's like, yes, 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 do it, do it, do it, do it. You know, that whatever they want. And they're like, wait, guys, you know, we have this conversation about standards. Let's before we just blindly accept before we just swipe right. And like, of course, we'll take you, <laughs> um, you know, let's think through it. And they went back and they said, no, this, you know, we're not going to do this drive through. We don't want this like that. Massing's not right. We're not going to have parking in front or whatever it was. I don't remember the specifics, but they, you know, to themselves, they had this conversation about we just can't accept anybody that comes along that pretends they're interested. And they kicked it back to the developer and the developer's like, yeah, I'll make all those changes. And I just, I loved seeing a community raise their standards in real time of saying we deserve better because the only way we ever get better is by telling ourselves we deserve better and changing our, our, you know, standards and, and, and by saying no sometimes. And, and just, it was, it was wonderful because right. How do we get better if we don't make better decisions and, and decide what's unacceptable? So that was my favorite. Yeah, that's great. Brilliant. Well, um, Jeff, Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, it was, uh, I appreciate your input on this. And um, I'd obviously like to stay in contact and, and chat to you further about some of the things that we've been working on. Um, and uh, just keep on doing the incredible good work you're doing. And uh, for our listeners out there, um, your book, uh, Your City is Sick, is available. Um, yes, all, yes, it, it is. Um, places. Um, so uh, I'm willing to sell uh, those for, for uh, you know, for um, for some sort of monetary compensation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've read it. I actually read it from beginning to end, and it was an incredibly good book. Yeah, and really worthwhile for those people out there, just getting some sort of insight into how you change places and how you think differently. I think it's a it's, it's a great example. So thank you very very much. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. First off, it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you. Too. I kind of you know sitting in your little cozy library has been nice this morning. Uh, uh, it's a nice little set that you have, or um, space that you have to work. You know. Uh, um, so far superior to my little dungeon that I'm in, but uh been a pleasure talking to you too. Um, I'm at uh, revitalizerdie.com. So if you, anybody wants to, you know, I post regular blogs there, the books for sale there and any information that you want. So if anybody wants to reach out, feel free to do so there. But uh, again, thank you for having me on. And also on LinkedIn, you've got a couple of really good posts as well. So if people go and look you up at on LinkedIn, um, I enjoyed some of the, I enjoyed the language. Uh, enjoy the directness as well, which uh, is absolutely necessary if we want to communicate properly. So thanks. I, I, I think this issue is crucial, and there's an urgency to it, and so I don't want to mince words. Like we've got to, we've got to address this every every day. We don't address this as somebody else that's being born into a town that's beneath them, and I, I think we have to do better quickly. Thanks very much. Thanks again. <laughs>